Hobby Addict の時間です It's time for Hobby Addict And now here are your anime addicts Welcome to episode 229 of the Anime Addicts Anonymous Podcast Hobby Addicts Edition. Hello, it's just two of us. Mitz is running late, but he will be here for the main show. So it's just、uh, Mason and I. How are you? I'm doing well. The,、uh, the, the weather got a little bit warmer. We're not on that like, comfortable、oh, like, mid 70s line, but we're, we're getting close. We're getting close to that luscious fall season, and I'm very ready for it. Yeah, it's been about、uh, between 65 and 70 today. Oh, that's, that's pleasant. Yeah, it's been really nice.、Um, at this morning, it rained a little bit, so it was cooler in the morning. But、um, yeah, it's weird. Like when I wake up, because I have to get up super early for work,、uh, it's always like 40 or 50 in the morning.、And、then by the afternoon, it's like 75, and it's a really weird switch because I never know how to dress. <laughs> By going to work than leaving work. But、um, yeah, so、uh, I don't have any a list of what we are doing today. I know that I am talking about a book.、Did、I'm have- talking about a book as well. A、oh, book cast. All right. Book cast. <laughs>、uh, also, quick update on Hades. It's still amazing. I. Just having a blast with it, and I got to the final boss, but I did not beat him. I think it's gonna take me quite a few tries to get like to do it because、um, there are buffs you can get in the game where it gives you like extra lives, kind of quote unquote, where、uh, if you die in the dungeon, you'll just revive right there with half health and、uh, you can keep going. But、um, you start out that you Don't start the game with that. You have to upgrade for one of them, and then later on you can upgrade to another. And then、uh, it's just like more of these, of the shadow currency to get more of those up to like, I don't know how, what the max is. It's probably like three or something.、Um, but yeah, it's、uh, like I got to the final boss, but I had barely any health left and no revives. So <laughs> I was like, ooh, this might take me a few tries to do because, ooh, the chamber before that destroyed me. And it wasn't really hard because the chamber before that didn't exactly have a boss, but there was so much poison damage that it was just tearing me apart. <laughs> but、uh, still fantastic. Honestly, not gonna lie, it might be a new favorite game of mine. <laughs> I am loving it to、go. death. And、uh, I believe you just got it. I was going to say, my gaming update is、uh, first, got Hades after the, the glowing review from、yeah. Mandy last episode and this very one.、Um, I'm usually not a big fan of super giant games. I just. Oh, really? Like, I've probably tried playing Transistor three or four times. I just don't like the way it feels.、Hmm. Um, you've probably heard me say a lot that like, game feel is a huge component for me. Mm-hmm. And like Bastion was all right, but I don't know. Something about Transistor was just too blocky and stiff and awkward. And I just didn't stick with it long enough to jive with it. But、uh, based on like the two minutes of gameplay I've seen of Hades, I'm guessing it's going to be much more up my alley. So I'm excited to try it.、Uh, I've played a little bit more of Ghost of Tsushima.、Uh, 
Uh, still enjoying it, still having fun. Um, the two things that are weird is I don't know how the game can load these huge like landscapes in seconds. But when I'm like trying to go through my like wardrobe and change my headband color, oh, it takes like yeah. longer to load I, that than the entire environment. I had the exact same problem. I was it's, like, man, it'd be how? great if I knew what this looked like, but it, it'll probably take me like 10 minutes to see. Exactly. It. It's like customizing your wardrobe takes longer than transversing a continent. It's <laughs> yeah. wild. And uh, the other thing is like this, when you save the game, it takes so little time that like when I... I just always like when I'm done playing, I save the game before I exit out. And it's mm. it's so quick that I don't know that it happens. Like it doesn't say like, oh, saving or confirmed. It's just like, oh, you saved it. I'm like, did it? I wonder it's if like, it's because maybe it has a constant um like saving checkpoints. It's it saves so often that maybe yeah. it's like, ah, he's good. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. And there was one cutscene uh where like there were some audio issues. Where it sounded like all the characters were underwater. Oh, weird. I don't know if that ever happened to you. It was just, Mm -mm. I started it up. The music sounded fine. All the sounds were fine, like, when I was in the free, you know, roaming around doing combat. But as soon as I entered a cutscene, the music was still playing. But all the characters were really quiet. and under. I was like, what? Oh, weird. So I, like, just restarted the PlayStation and it worked. But apparently that's a known thing. But obviously not a huge issue. Interesting. Anyway, still having fun, but uh, that's the video game update. But enough of that, enough of that stuff. I think it's time to talk books. You said enough about video games, but mine is about video games. <laughs> oh no! Well, okay, let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so I recently read Blood, Sweat, and Pickle Pick- Pickles. Not pickles. I lied. Ooh, that'd Blood- be a great title. <laughs> <laughs> Blood, sweat, and pixels. Not pickles. Pixels. Uh, I'm by, almost disappointed. Same, honestly, now. <laughs> by John uh, Schreer, who I, I don't know if I pronounced his last name correctly. He used to be a games journalist for Kotaku. Um, that's the only way that I know him. And I don't really know anything about him personally, just that he used to be um, and like uh, to used to review games for Kotaku and just cover the game and games industry in general. But uh, so he brought, brought out a book all about different game studios and it's about game development. And uh, it starts off with like a little bit of a background history on him and his experience in the gaming industry and that all of the um, the information in this book is taken from developers from these different teams and uh, or different people from these different developing developing teams and that he doesn't always say who's saying it because some people want to be off the record <laughs> just in case they got into trouble because something that's not always positive. So, um, but then after that, each chapter focuses on a different game. And let me see if I can give you a little rundown of everything that's in here. So we have Pillars of Eternity, Uncharted 4, Stardew Valley, which is my favorite chapter, <laughs> uh, Diablo 3, uh, Halo Wars... Dragon Age Inquisition, I'm flipping through as I'm going, Shovel Knight, Destiny, The Witcher 3, and Star Wars 1313. But um, I didn't read the chapters yet for the games that I have not played because I was more interested in the ones that I have already finished. But I, I, I wasn't like 
like worried about spoilers or anything. I just wasn't as attached to them. But I'm, mm-hmm. I am going to go back and read those as soon, um, uh, eventually. So I, s- I assume there's not much of a like through line where you have to read about one game before you read the next one. They're no, kind of like independent. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so nice. you could skip around. But um, so I started with Pillars of, Etern- of Eternity, and it was really interesting. All of the different kind of stuff that just seeing what happens behind the scenes. Um, where Pillars of Eternity, that whole chapter about the team that worked on it, they were originally part of Microsoft, and they were working with on the South Park uh, Stick of Truth game, and then they br- they were about to bring out another game. Um, Pickles of Eternity. Pickles of Eternity, yes. <laughs> the uh, the team was called is is called Obsidian, but they were working on Stormlands and all of the how Microsoft just destroyed that game for them and yep. eventually canceled it and how much it hurt them and uh, to the point where they had to let go so many people and it was just like that whole part of the chapter was so like heartbreaking just hearing about all these people spent so much time on this game and crunch time and Microsoft had too many demands that were like they they weren't able to uh to do them they were like we don't have enough time we don't have the resources and you just keep like giving us demands because they're like oh we're releasing a new system and that we want this feature to be used and this feature to be used and they're like we can't do all of this and oh man Microsoft screwed them over royally but um at the end they had to let go i think it was like 25 people in their small little team and they were just Mm -hmm. just heartbroken but after that they encountered something called kickstarter (laughs) and uh they kickstarted pillars of eternity because they no longer wanted to be affiliated with microsoft and because uh just big publishers have the have the opportunity to just destroy you so and you don't really have as much freedom to do what you want where you could have this amazing system that you want in your game but if the publisher is like no we don't want that in our game you don't we don't we can't give you give you the time to do it then you have to you know scratch off the list it's really sad but um so they decided to do kickstarter for the first time and just how wonderful it turned out for them to make pillars of eternity because pillars pillars of eternity was uh, a really fantastic game i really enjoyed that game if you like crpgs um it's a it's a very classic crpg style game <laughs> and uh that was one thing that they one reason why they chose kickstarter is because they were like microsoft wanted us to make a game for their new system but we don't want to do that because we want to work with CRPGs, you know, computer RPGs. And uh, we wanted to make them in a classic style, something that's not, you know, it's not going to be like a, a games or a system seller for Microsoft the Xbox. They're not going to they're not going to want that on their Xbox, um, you know, at launch. So uh, they decided to do kickstarter and uh it was like crazy where they were talking about they weren't expecting to get as much money as they did and the next day the explosion of uh funds that came in just shocked them they're like whoa what just happened where i think it was like um where was it it was like they had over a million dollars after a day i think i'm trying to find the exact number but they were all just shocked that because apparently it was hitting a niche that, and you know a um, a uh, a genre that seemed long dead since um, 
since Planescape, basically, and Baldur's Gate 2. They were like, you know, no one has made anything in this genre for so long that like that has like a classic feel and look to it with the isometric camera. Because there were like Dragon Age, I think, came out before Pillars of Eternity. But um, but they, they didn't have that classic feel to it. They still felt like more modern games. So, uh, yeah, they were hitting a niche there where they just all the, you know, fans of the genre were like, oh, so exciting that, you know, this uh, looks promising. And uh, I don't know, it was really cool reading that whole chapter about how Kickstarter saved them because now suddenly they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted. And they instead of like working with a big, you know, big publisher like Microsoft, they worked with fans and getting constant like immediate feedback from fans by showing them what they were doing. And fans, you know, sometimes they said sometimes fans are not as uh, as um, nice as publishers because they would be very brutal. And they're like, it's really sad, but also kind of nice to know that uh, they're not going to lie to you <laughs> about what yeah. they want. And I love these two part like kickstart like winning stories, not only did the game like get funded and they mm-hmm. got their money, but like then they turned around and delivered yeah. a great game to the people. Like everyone won. Yeah, exactly what um what fans wanted because you know they're not going through a publisher who is, you know, basing everything off of just statistics. It's you know, the fans are telling them exactly what they want in their game, what they don't like, what they think feels a little bit tedious. Um, and uh, sadly, I think they did still have to go through massive amounts of cr- of crunch time. But still, at that point, it wasn't like really enforced by somebody else. It was like they were just so passionate about their game and they wanted to get it out to the fans who, you know, gave them all this money. And they're like, we have to get them, get it to them as soon as possible. And, and it was within this small studio. Yeah, and it that's was- actually where the na- sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, it's okay. I was just going to say, it was just a really cool story, just seeing how how successful Kickstarter was for them, and then they decided from there, there on, they were going to remain an indie studio and just use crowdfunding. So then they went on to make Pillars Eternity 2, and I think they did release the uh, South Park game, which was, I think that was already, like, um, a part of Microsoft. I think there was, there was already a deal there, but... Um, yeah, it was just it was just a really cool story. I just <laughs> like to read through the first chapter. It's like, oh wow, uh, just to see how, like how um, crowdfunding saved their little studio basically. Because before that, they thought they were going to have to close because they lost all of their people. But now that they had all this crowdfunding money. They were able to hire more people and uh, you know actually you know pay everybody more than what they were making before. It was a really cool story. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit about Crunch, and that's actually where Jason Schreier's name reminded me. Um, a lot of the like Jim Sterling, like Jimquisition videos, mm-hmm. where he like details Crunch. A lot of his references are the like investigative pieces that Jason puts together. Yeah, like I think that's that's where I was like, where do I know that name from? Uh, and I looked up, I'm like, oh, it's the uh, that's the guy. So yeah, it makes sense that that was probably part of the you know, investigative effort into the book. Oh, yeah. Um, out of all the chapters that I read in here, because I read through Pillars of Eternity, Stardew Valley, Dragon Age, Witcher 3, um, basically all the games that I've played. And each of them do have quite a bit about crunch in them because <laughs> uh, there are definitely different sides to it where some are more passion driven and some are forced 
later on there's a a really awful example of that <laughs> but um my favorite chapter that i read was about stardew valley because i love stardew valley anyone who knows that i went when i was going through my um pick line treatment at home i played stardew valley for like the entire time because <laughs> i couldn't really do anything and i was like i can't really even play like a like a game that's going to require too much movement but stardew valley was just the perfect game for me to just to just uh to just get sunk into for two weeks straight <laughs> if you can't do anything in real life you might as well play the game where you can do everything yeah but it was a, such a cool chapter because um stardew valley was the entire thing was made by one person the entire game that like not just uh like the design but like the art the music the programming every single aspect of it came from a single person and um it the story behind it actually got me really emotional because uh he had just met his girlfriend and um at that time they weren't married i think they're they were married now but uh, at the time when they were dating they would play uh harvest moon together an, an old harvest moon game and they would sit there on the sofa and pass the controller back and forth and then they got to a point where uh they were both like you know what it's it's sad that this series has gone downhill because all of the new ones that came out it, they're just you know critically panned because they're awful games <laughs> just the whole like the whole uh series just went uh down the hill and so they were like man it's really sad that we can't like play a newer version of these games that we love and um the you know and have all the features in them that we enjoy playing together and then he's like you know what i i have been taking programming classes mom i try he's just like gonna make a game for fun so he started making stardew valley on his own and it got to the point where it became a passion project where they would go out for walks together and talk about all the different things he can put in his game and uh then eventually it got to the point where um he was not working and she was working two jobs to take care of both of them but he would spend every single day the entire day on his computer programming away at stardew valley and it was a crazy like story about just his passion to make this like this uh game a reality and all the hardships that they went through but it i think the part that uh, that was like got me really emotional was at the end where he finally finished the game and it released on steam because he got it greenlit and when it came out on steam all of a sudden he had millions of dollars and both him and his wife at the time were like shocked because he hasn't even seen like another human being for all of the years that he worked on this game. He just sat there and worked on his game for so long. He never went out. He just worked on the game. And he I think eventually he said that he did take like a job as an usher somewhere, I think, where just just so he could have other human contact. But he never went out to like uh, have like. Uh, parties or anything he never like went anywhere and just he just wanted to work on this game and all of a sudden they had you know they went through all this hardship where uh she was working for both of them and then suddenly they just had millions of dollars and didn't know what to do with it and they're like we're still just living our little house i still have my broken down corolla because he felt bad <laughs> he was like i don't feel like i deserve all of this and i was like no, you definitely do. <laughs> you worked so hard on this game, and it was crazy. He was like, uh, he was like, 
before I was a nobody. Now suddenly I have Nintendo and everybody coming after me wanting exclusive rights to my game. And he's like, uh, he told straight up told Nintendo, no, he, he wants it available to everybody, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> Because you think somebody who doesn't have any experience in the gaming industry wouldn't just straight up tell Nintendo Would no. Would jump all over that opportunity. I know. <laughs> because Nintendo said they wanted exclusive rights to it, so it would just be on Nintendo, like on the Switch. And he said, no, I want it to be able to be or available to, to everybody. It. And it was just... I don't know, it was a really cool story. And I got really emotional at the parts where uh, he was talking about just suddenly being somebody and he was like you know i just i never expected to get this far but um he man he went through everything and it was talking about um moments where his wife was frustrated because she thought the game was good enough but he was like a perfectionist perfectionist about it he was like no Mm -hmm. no no this isn't gonna work and he redid all of the art and he would take out like mechanics and completely redo them um he did promise to people on the green light that it was going to be co-op, but at the time he was like, I, I can't. He said he got to a point where he was just so sick of it. He couldn't do it anymore because he had no human interaction with anybody else for so long. He's like, I just, I can't. And at that point, um, I think it was, uh, was it Babblefish? I can't remember what the name of the studio is who uh did start working with him and they were like we will uh do the co-op for you so they did the the um multiplayer part of it but everything else is entirely his and i was like damn dude <laughs> that is crazy <laughs> i just i don't know it was wild because i didn't think it was made chucklefish i'm sorry not babblefish chucklefish um but picklefish I, picklefish <laughs> It was crazy because I did not know that was by a single person. I knew it was probably like a small team, but I was not expecting one person to uh, have developed the entire thing. It's crazy. But yeah, other than, other than that, I did read the chapter about Dragon Age Inquisition, which was, which was also wild because uh, EA screwed them up royally. <laughs> that was really sad, too. That- that's not surprising. I know EA destroyed them, Bioware, and because uh, it started with Dragon Age Two, they had just finished Dragon Age Origins um, entirely. They finished the the um, expansion for it, and at that moment, as soon as they finished, EA said, "We want Dragon Age Two next year," and they went, "That's impossible." We have we are not prepared for Dragon Age two, <laughs> and because they were starting to like talk about Dragon Age Inquisition, and they're like, you know, we could do this for uh, our next game, and you know, have um, where maybe there's an Inquisition going on, and uh, EA's like, no, we need this next year, and they're like, well, we're not going to do our idea for next year because this is going to be atrocious. So they threw together Dragon Age two, and that's why it did awful. <laughs> It's like crazy because they're like, because when I played Dragon Age 2, I hated it like most of the world because it was um, the entire game, this entire RPG took place in just one city and all of the random encounters that you ran into were all uh, just the exact same area and it was just the same enemies and you could tell it was just and it was kind of interesting reading the story behind it and how that happened because they knew it was going to be bad. Bioware's like you cannot 
after finish after you finish a game, you cannot tell your developing team have another game one year. That's impossible. <laughs> so it was really sad that happened. But then uh, Microsoft or not sorry not Microsoft EA blamed them for the failure of Dragon Age Two, and then told them Inquisition could not be a launch title for their new system. So uh, they also had to make because they they just wanted to work on the new engine for Dragon Age Inquisition and just focus on the PS4 and um, Xbox One. But now EA's like, no, we want you to also have it on PS3 and, uh, you know, the older systems. And they're like, oh, shit, now we have to, like, develop for both of them. And that also would, like, hurt them really bad because they're like, all this cool stuff they had planned out we had to throw it out because it wasn't going to work on old systems. It is just really sad. It's just, I don't know, it's a really cool book if you like video games and you're always like, man, why did this, why did this development team do this? There's a story behind it and they know it sucks. It's just sometimes shit happens and uh, uh, people screw you over. <laughs> it's really interesting to read. Overall, would you say the book is more like frustrating or triumphant or inspiring but, like i'm sure it like runs the spectrum from one end to the other oh yeah yeah yeah. it, it st always starts off kind of frustrating and then towards the end of each chapter it's really um i'd say it has a more triumphant feel to it like even the dragon age one at the end uh they were so determined to make this the best damn game they ever made and uh and from Bioware, I mean. And so, but at the end, it did end up getting the highest score out of all of the games they've ever made. And uh, they were like, it was like, even though there were still flaws in it that people caught, it was still a great feeling for them knowing that they were able to achieve everything and all of the stuff that they had to fight for to get. Because before EA told them, um, you're not going to have enough time to do multiple races because they wanted to have all of these different races for your main character. And originally, uh, EA, EA was like, you're not going to have enough time, just keep it to a human. But they're like, no, we, you know, we went from Origins where you could have multiple races. Everybody hated that you didn't have that choice in DA2. So we want to make more races available. We, we want this, we want the player to be able to customize how they play the game because it's an RPG and that's a big part of our Dragon Age game. And, uh, so they had to fight for that and just hearing how triumphant they were getting every, like fighting for everything they wanted in the game was really cool. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Witcher 3 was also a really cool chapter. <laughs> well, I will. Uh, that's a perfect segue. But really quick, before I segue to that, I want to say I'm almost more interested to see if you read about any games that you haven't played that because of the like story, like inspires you to play them. Because I feel like to some degree, you know, if you start the, the chapter on Stardew Valley you're in your head because you've played it, you're like, spoilers, I know what happens it succeeds i know what came of it and i wonder if there's any stories in there where you're like oh i never knew it came about like that now i want to give it a shot knowing about the backstory mm, maybe i have not played shovel knight yet so maybe i'll read the shovel knight one because there's some in here that i'm like i know i'm never gonna play that game like i've never been interested in the uncharted games so i don't really have a reason yeah. to get into uncharted 4 or star wars i don't have i don't know anything about star wars so Shovel, Shovel Knight. Shovel though. Knight's pretty rad. Yeah. So it's definitely that'd probably be 
yeah, that'll probably be the next one I read. I didn't read Diablo 3, even though I've played Diablo 3. I just, I don't know. Something about <laughs> blizzards, not... <laughs> <laughs> you had enough blizzard for a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't care about you, blizzard. You've pissed me off enough times. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, it's a story you've probably already kind of heard. Probably, Company-wide. Yeah. But, um... So I was going to talk about books, but in the sake of time, I'll <gasps> transition. I'll pivot. Oh no, I'm so sorry. Uh, no, 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 it's fine. This is uh perfect. I was I was actually really interesting hearing these stories. But I have been watching, and I think I've told you about this before, Mandy. But um, Joseph Anderson's Witcher analysis videos on YouTube. Oh, um, I think you showed me one, but I don't think I ever watched it because wasn't it like. Up three hours or something so like that so the the witcher one critique is what it's called you can just look up that you can look up joseph anderson witcher essentially if you're like man the triple a podcast is kind of short this week i need more things to fill my time uh part one which is a, the first game is four hours and 18 minutes long uh part two came out in august and it's a little over five hours long and it's all building to the culmination of whenever he drops the witcher three uh analysis and it's very dense if you are at all a fan of the witcher series or even moderately a fan of them uh, it's definitely worth checking out it is full of like the most microscopic comb detail of like every he goes through every pretty much major dialogue option and how it varies and what it means or the flaws or the joys with it or how it succeeds or how it fails and it's uh, very interesting. The as someone who's only dabbled in the second game, and I've played all of the third one, it was definitely interesting. Like learning about the first game through these videos, because I'm sure you've played the Mandy, but it yeah. looks rough. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like it saved somehow. Watching a four-hour video saved me time in life. <laughs> um but nonetheless i have really been enjoying them i feel like these are i've been kind of iffy on joseph anderson's videos previously like he's definitely not up there with like the matthew Matosis's, but uh these are a ton of fun if you like the witcher and have a lot of time to kill uh i've been like knocking them out in like 10 minute chunks every day and i'm I'm like still working my way th through like the last 20 minutes of the the second witcher one but it's very funny and it's insightful. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I remember when the first game came out, I played it on PC and it was um I think at the time that it came out, it was really cool, but then it did not age well. I think even the Witcher 3 uh section of this book talks about Witcher 1 and 2 as well. And okay. uh how CD Projekt Red wanted to keep them to PC games originally before Witcher 3 and all of the um, things that they learned but through like doing the first one, then the second game and how they took all that knowledge and used it in the third one. It was uh, it was interesting. I because um, I yeah, that game did not age well. I remember trying to play it again. I was like, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> I mean, he definitely gives it props for what it deserves and the innovation and a lot of the things that even it does better than some of the other Witchers. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems like seems like it's not the worst game out there. But nonetheless, it was very uh, invigorating and he takes you along the story with the game. So all the twists and stuff were 
nice you know foretold and stuff it was it was good it's uh i'm enjoying it it's something to chew up a lot of time kind of like a while i'm eating while i'm doing this or that just pop it on for a couple minutes and uh, i'm excited for witcher 3 analysis whenever that comes out nice um did you want to save your book for next time or did you want to roughly like like blow through uh, it I'll, I'll go through it next time it's not like that intensive but we uh we got we got a show to get to yeah so we are recording this on wednesday and not sunday because uh we had some we have we all have things to do this sunday <laughs> so we're doing this early and um yeah so we are on a timer since it's a work day but uh thank you for listening and thanks for supporting us and hopefully you learned a little more about the game industry i did not intend to take up all the time i just was very passionate no, it about was, my book it was fascinating enough and you deserved it so <laughs> thank you for sharing i do highly recommend check out this book it was really cool but and uh, um, the name of it again is a blood pickles, sweat and pickles. pickles and pickles 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 and pickles <laughs> yeah it's a sequel to Rugrats. <laughs> Blood, sweat, and pixels. But, um, pixel pickles. But uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you all next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.